left brain center. <laughs> like the original. Yeah, like, yeah nothing like the original. Uh, Joe Schlemmer is back with us. Very nice to see you again. And you. And Bob Metz is with us today again. Robert, nice to have you with us. Good morning, Jim. Uh, I'd like to this morning, uh, and, and, and certainly I'm going to uh, urge our, our listeners even more than I usually do to join in this conversation this morning. I'd like to, to take a few minutes, if we can, and talk about why you gentlemen think we become as political animals what we become. And I would, I would, I guess, ask you about yourselves. What brought each of you to your place on the political spectrum? And we've talked before about the spectrum being rather a fluid thing, that, that um, there are people who are hard right and hard left and people who would never go in either direction. And that's not really what we talk about here, as, as you've seen in our discussions over the years, that both of these guests are fairly flexible, depending on the nature of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the issue we're discussing. At times they've disagreed violently, at other times they've agreed about things. So obviously there's no, uh, not exclusionary in terms of their political philosophies. Bob has made the point on occasion that he doesn't necessarily think of himself as being necessarily on the right, per se, on the classic right. And I think Jeff has, you know, made the similar comments that he doesn't see himself necessarily being hard left either. Um, and I thought it might be interesting not only for our listeners but for me to uh, to hear what our guests have to say and maybe uh, promote a bit of a discussion about why we do go the direction in which we go. I had the opportunity to talk to uh, some people the other day who are members of one of Canada's major parties and had been for some years, and, and we were discussing political philosophy and what we wanted to see for the country and so on. And uh, I'm not, I'm non-aligned. I'm not uh, involved in any political party, and uh, none of them really claims my adherence either, because I'm a little ticked at all of them for various reasons. And that's probably just as well in, in my business. Um, although some people perceive me differently, that's the reality of it. I was talking to these people, and I said, well, here's what I believe, such and such and so and so and such and such. And we, we agreed as how we were pretty much on the same wavelength. But the party to which they belong is not one which I would rush to join at all. And and uh, it was interesting to me. I, I said, well, what brought you to this particular party, given that obviously we are, you know, we, we have some shared concerns. You're not happy about this. You're not happy about that. I mean, you could be, like I am, kind of non-aligned. They said, well, our father was in this party, and his father was in the party, and we just grew up around our house with, uh, you know, there was just no question that you would join any other party. I wonder how often that is the case for Canadians and whether that still applies. And Jeff, I guess I'll ask you, is there any family background for your, where you are in the political spectrum? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know I don't know how my parents vote, actually, but I, I know that coming from uh, Perth County, our tradition in Perth County was always, we'd always say you vote for the person and not the party. Mm -hmm. So I suspect that my parents have probably covered the map uh, in different elections, and certainly I have. I voted for every party except reform at uh, one time or another. Um, so it's interesting that, and again, that that's something that that I remember being proud of as a Perth Countyite or whatever mm -hmm. we are. Um, that that was the thing that each election you'd have a look at who the candidates were and decide who you liked and uh, and go with that. It really didn't matter what party they were. Bob, what about you? Um, well, I didn't have. Uh, I'm an immigrant to this country basically. Although I immigrated here when I was six months old, <laughs> my parents were originally from Hungary of German descent, and so we didn't have any particular loyalty to any particular party when they came here, although I imagine my parents, uh, certainly my mother, I think, was mostly liberal. Um, I would consider myself a liberal in the classic tradition of the word, not in the big L sense of yeah. the word. Um, 
so I guess there was a tremendous influence there. Uh, my earliest memories of politics, per se, was I have to is Pierre Trudeau, really. And uh, me too. I remember the the incredible, you know, feeling that people had in Canada that Canada was the place to be, especially around 1967 when we had Expo 67, which I went to see. Mm -hmm. And uh, you just figured, man, this was it. This was the country that was going to go right past America. We were going to just zoom right by them, eh? And uh, little did I know, unlike Jeff, I have voted for every party and the Reform Party. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but then became quickly disillusioned. And by, I would say, oh, I'm talking late 70s, early 80s now, uh, I was totally uh, well, was apathetic, I guess. I didn't even vote anymore. And um, because every time I voted for a party, I, I never, I never ever voted for a winner, regardless of which party I voted for, even if it was a major party or a minor party. Mm -hmm. And it started making me question why I was voting the way I was. And, and I, vo I remember voting NDP once because uh, I had just gotten sick of the liberals and conservatives because they seemed like uh, they were hypocritical in everything that they did. At least the NDP had some, quote, principles. Mm -hmm. And among them was freedom of speech, which was something I could support. The other parties weren't saying anything. But Right after I voted NDP on that issue, they changed their mind on it, and they weren't that freedom of speech anymore. So I was completely alienated from the system. And um, so what happened to me, I was kind of, uh, I don't know if you remember, a fellow named Mark Emery here in town mm -hmm. who was quite politically active. I used to work across the street from him. At, he, he, had, he had City Lights Bookshop there, and uh, I used to be the corporate accountant over at Canada Permanent Trust Company mm -hmm. across the street. And I'd go over there every day, and we'd have these political debates. Mark used to be an NDPer, and uh, and um, used to campaign for Rob Martin when he was an NDP candidate, uh, Professor Rob Martin mm -hmm. of the yeah. UWO. Yeah. And um, so we got into all these debates, and then uh, I guess this libertarian person came into Mark's store one day and said, "What are you doing with the NDP? You should be with this party." And I remember Mark telling me one day he he, he went to. Uh, uh, an all-candidates debate as an NDP supporter and heard uh, a libertarian candidate up there and found that he agreed with everything that the candidate had said. And uh, that was his instant conversion. Right away, he, he moved over. And he started, he, he wanted to run in 1978 or 9. He, he ran some candidates here in the London area for the Libertarian Party, which I'd never heard of. And he had set up the three candidates. And unfortunately, the third candidate in London South had to pull out at the last minute because uh, he was an employee of Ontario Hydro. And if you run provincially, you cannot stay in your employment for the period of the election. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't afford to do that. So Mark was looking for a name to stick on a ballot. And he just asked me as a favor, would you please put your name on the ballot? And here's me. I'm totally non-political, don't know left, right from center or anything <laughs> like that. And he said, you won't have to do anything. You won't have to do anything. Just put your name on the ballot because I've already spent all this money. And um, so I said, sure, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. And uh, next thing I find out, right after registration, my phone starts ringing, and it's the media. And they want to know where I stand on this issue and where I stand on that issue, and I didn't have any points of view. So uh, I said, Mark, what can, you, what can you do to educate me in a quick hurry? And he hands me this book. He hadn't even read it at the time, and it was called Capitalism, The Unknown Ideal, written by Ayn Rand. Mm -hmm. And I read about three or four chapters in it and that were related to issues at the time, which at that time the big issues were inflation, uh, energy. We had an energy crisis, if you ever recall that, mm -hmm. and uh, issues of that nature. And um, so I used the ideas I got there as a basis of some of my first speeches. And to my amazement, I would get standing ovations and, and, and a tremendous response from the public in terms of the ideas that I was pronouncing there. 
And my first all-candidates debate, I wake up the next morning, and there I am on the front page. Libertarian candidate rates highest with students at Clark Road Secondary School. Right? And uh, so I'm going, well, there must be something in these ideas. And I started investigating them, and, I, and that's when I became a convert. And I remember once being faced with, with, the, with sitting there and going, either these, this is true or it is not. I had to either face up to it or not, because mm -hmm. I believe, to me, reading Ayn Rand really rubbed me the wrong way at mm -hmm. first. Because uh, it what was counter to everything that I had been taught. It was completely counter to, um, you know, everything I was taught, and certainly uh, the high schools I was brought up in, because they were basically, you know, I would say liberal oriented. Mm -hmm. And I did take a liberal arts course. I mean, up to grade thirteen type of thing. So that's basically how I got started in politics. And then from then on, I just kept getting more and more involved and and meeting more and more people and and discovering that. Uh, Indeed, there was a revolution going on, and um, some of the people who have been influenced by Ayn Rand are, are some biggies, including like Alan Greenspan, who's, mm -hmm. who's uh, down in the United States as the chair of uh, uh, Federal, Federal Reserve. Reserve. And uh, certainly the influence is, is coming across to Canada now. A lot of people think that these ideas are, are quote, American. I used to always get accused of having all these American ideas, when in fact uh, Ayn Rand was a Russian, mm -hmm. immigrated to America, and all of her people that she worked with and the people who, quote, inherited her estate are all Canadians, mm -hmm. uh, including Leonard Peacock from, from Winnipeg and Barbara Brandon from Winnipeg. And uh, just a whole, they were basically Canadians and Russians all emigrated to America mm -hmm. to get the ideas out from there. And um, so basically that's how I started and that's, uh, it just went on from there. How do you think we arrived where we are today in this country where we have a very much a centrist government, I think, to, to, from most people's point of view, a government that seems to appeal to, to, the, to the soft right, to the soft left, to the, to the great soft center of, of Canadian politics. We have a prime minister who, uh, and I'm not, I'm not taking unkind shots at him, but the facts are the facts, um, has not been a very dynamic leader, is now embarrassing this country uh, in, in the Middle East fairly severely. Um, and yet it doesn't seem to be affecting his, his popularity at all. There have been some major uh, uh, allegations of impropriety that had they been uh, leveled against Brian Mulroney, for example, or John Turner, or even Joe Clark, might well have brought governments down, and people are just, yeah, well, so what? Um, we seem to have this sense in this country that we are kind of chugging along down this middle path, and, and that's where we're going to stay. Do either of you have any thoughts as to how we got there. There was a time, I think, when we were a little more polarized, we were a little more, uh, uh, we were a little angrier, perhaps, at things. I think back to the night in 1984 when Brian Mulroney was elected and there was, uh, there was joy in the land in a, in a lot of areas that weren't even particularly Tory areas. It was an idea that we had this fresh, new, bottom-line kind of guy who was going to come in here and clean things up and, uh, and eliminate the deficit and just kind of put this country back on a solid footing. And I can remember there being a lot of excitement in the country at that time, even as they say from people who weren't necessarily Tories, just the idea that it's time to revitalize the country. Well, we know that didn't happen, at least not, not the way we envisioned it. And I don't sense that excitement anywhere, even with the, the building of a supposedly new party, and I still don't sense that excitement. Yeah, well, that's that. interesting, because I actually voted for Moroni in 84 and in 88, I think, as well. And uh, yeah, it's interesting to, to think back about the context of the time and how there was this cynicism about the liberals. And I guess it was people had gotten tired of Trudeau over the years. Now, to some extent, I, w I wasn't a close follower of politics by any means in those days. Uh, I guess a, uh, 
well, I guess, as Bob said, my first memories of politics would be Trudeau again. And I guess to some extent, maybe that was because he transcended uh, politics and was more like a pop star. He was much more in the public consciousness mm -hmm. than when, when he was elected. I guess I was uh, eight years old. Um, I, I remember that, you know, and I remember the, the thing around it. And, and again, this sense of um, falling behind this gr greater than life leader who's going to do great things for mm -hmm. us. And I think that over, over, at least within the consciousness that I'm aware of, pe people become uh, sort of cynical about, about how much an individual can do and how much an individual can be uh, put up on a pedestal. How practical is that? With a Mulroney, I think ultimately people came to think that he was sort of in it for what he could get out of it. Whereas with, with Cretchen, I don't think people really see that so much. You know, and certainly he's become a millionaire and he's done well in his life and he's, you know, I guess his main goal was to be to be the Prime Minister and he's gotten that. But somehow he doesn't seem as grasping uh, and that may cut him more latitude. But it's interesting, when I think back to the influences that I have that, uh, that you talked about my parents earlier, I think I have very strong influences from them not so much towards a political party, but in terms of ideas. And I remember growing up that, for instance, in our in our circle of friends and, and family, um, it, was, uh, it was a very, um, I hate to say communistic, because it's not communistic in a political sense, but in terms of a community, it was mm -hmm. very strong. That we were, uh, we had large numbers of, of relatives that I saw all the time, large numbers of friends that I saw all the time. You would always share things back and forth. If somebody needed something, of course, you would take it for as long as you needed it, you know, mm -hmm. and everybody respected each other's things. But it was just a given that if you needed, if you're going on a vacation, somebody would offer you a trailer, you know, if you wanted to go away somewhere, somebody would offer you a snowmobile or whatever it was. And that was sort of the community I grew up in. And I, and I sort of thought that that was the norm, and maybe it is, but since then I've certainly met people who, who don't have that experience at all and are much more individualistic and say what's mine is mine and what's mm -hmm. yours and yours and I won't touch yours and you don't touch mine. But I think that uh, that this whole idea of the importance of sharing and how this, this, this seemed to work very well growing up because again, you, you could have uh, experiences far beyond your own economic means because you were sharing because again, uh, you know, one person would have the trailer but the other person would have, uh, you know, the, the tools for building the garage or whatever else. Mm -hmm. the, the sharing around worked really well it seemed to me. You think that's disappeared? I, I, well, I, I just see that. that that for myself, I find the people, at least that I associate with, are incredibly generous and willing to share. Well, that's interesting because one of the things that, that, that I think happens is that when you, when you identify yourself, when you label yourself, maybe that's a terrible thing to do in some ways because when you do that, suddenly you've got all these attributes that have been, become attributed to you. And, yeah, but and you better label yourself as opposed to have someone else well, label you. Well, I know, but, <laughs> but, but then you've also got, uh, you know, your opponents are also all labeled. And I think of right-wingism, if you call that, as being much more individualistic, as being anti-communistic, as not being a commune, but as being uh, individuals should make their own way and should be left alone, basically, to do as best they can, whereas from the, the left-wing idea, I think of broadly as working together, we get that's, further that's ahead. That's very interesting because when I was in my days of ignorance, political ignorance, I did not see the right and left that way. I saw them as the same thing. I saw, saw them both as being very collectivist. I mean, uh, my political awareness occurred during the Davis years here in Ontario, mm -hmm. and he was about as red Tory as you could get. And uh, at that time, I felt there was literally no option on, on the right at all in Ontario. And um, that was one of the reasons we got involved with and, and started Freedom Party and, uh, and have kept our, our influence going. We, you know, when I, when I think of, of the influence that we've had even on, on the issues of the major parties, um, I remember uh, the one issue we were identified with very early was Sunday shopping. And all the three parties told us we were crazy to even talk about it. It's never going to happen. It won't happen. Every, every report and every well, I'm still not very royal commission that they had recommended against it. 
Well, as a Christian, it's your responsibility to uh, to adhere to your faith, not uh, not not to force others to adhere to it. Well, yeah, uh, and, and that's interesting that that's you know you can you can stake that out quite legitimately as a right wing idea. I think this this uh, I'll have my religion and you have your religion, and for for a couple of centuries at least in Canada, the Christians got it all their way. Uh, you know, and and as being one of the overdog well, found, bunch, what I found interesting it's hard about to give that up. Sunday shopping, particularly, was the party that brought it to us. Was the party that was most vehemently against it, which was the NDP. Mm-hmm. And that taught me something. I'm thinking, well, you can't trust what these guys say when they get in there. They might do the very opposite. And I remember people what do you coming mean, in. Might? Uh, uh, well, <laughs> but then I realized that the force of nature is greater than any political ideal, especially if the ideal is not consistent with nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, nature. Who said it? Nature to be commanded must be obeyed. And if you try to disobey nature, it doesn't matter. It's going to force you back to where you want to. But there, there is now a, a a body of work and a school of thought that the uh, that we made a mistake with Sunday shopping, not because of any overlying religious. Uh, 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 imperative, uh, but because we we are, and again, it's a school of thought. Not everybody mm-hmm. adheres to it, but there are a number of psychologists that I've been reading lately and talking to, who believe that uh, human beings do need that downtime, and that well, they do absolutely. And, and, and there's an advantage to that downtime being a shared downtime. So there, and I, I'm not going to go into it in detail here, but it, it's fairly well thought out that there is an advantage to having a particular day of the week, whether it's Sunday or Tuesday or Thursday, when, when the society as a whole kind of takes a breather and says we are going to relax as a whole. Well, that was, a, that was the argument during the debate as well. But what we forget is that everybody worked on Sunday and the only people that were closed was retail. That was who they were talking about. And retail is a business that has to work when everybody's relaxing. Shopping is one of the most relaxing family outing things that people do. And yet we survived quite nicely for many years without being able to go shopping on Sunday. Now, it's convenient. I know there are many days when I've gone shopping on Sunday. I think this is convenient. But at the same time, it has distorted the nature of that day as being a day of rest. At the same time, many people were hurt, particularly in the business community. Um, and people who were, you know, like Paul Magder, for example, in Toronto, the Toronto Furrier, mm-hmm. who broke the law hundreds and hundreds of times until mm-hmm. the government busted him, bankrupt him, and now, now he's open. He was in a, he was in an exempted zone, but because he wasn't Chinese, they wouldn't let him stay open. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, is that so? Is there a political uh, bent you can put to that? Is Sunday shopping a, a left wing or a right wing idea? I, I don't know. <laughs> Sunday shopping? It's not neither. Um, uh, that's, that's, I think the broader question is freedom, a left-wing or a right-wing idea. I don't think it's either. I think the left and right are both encroachments on freedom. The left likes to encroach on economic freedom. The right likes to encroach on personal freedom. And that was the decision I finally realized that, that why we never get anywhere when we just swing back and forth. We're always compromising one freedom for the other. And freedom's indivisible. If, if, if somebody's telling you you can't spend your money where you want, you, you, you don't have freedom. Let's pause on that note. We will be back with more on Left, Right, and Center. And you're certainly welcome to join us. Kind of a a free-ranging discussion today about the nature of the left and the right, the nature of freedom in our society. We'll continue with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz after these messages. Center with Schlemmer and Metz and our old friend Ivan joins us. Good morning, Ivan. Morning, Jim. About the Sunday shopping. What that used to be in a lot. Most hypocritical thing I have ever heard. For instance, the variety stores could stay open. Yeah. Real estate agents could sell. Mm-hmm. Insurance agents could sell. Mm-hmm. And if I owned a business, a clothing store, and I was the only em- employee, I would be charged. Mm-hmm. You know, can you imagine the police going around 
and charging people that are putting money into the economy. Well, they still do it now on the day after Christmas, don't I they? I know, that's terrible. I mean, that's, you know something, Jim? Our country talks about going to other places and to protect other people's freedoms. And freedom's taken away from us. Mm -hmm. But people don't mind a little bit of freedom taken away from them mm -hmm. until a whole bunch gets taken away from them. Mm, that's a good point. I yeah, yeah. It's just just terrible. Here, let's say I opened up a business. What right has anybody to come up to me, Jim, and say, "Hey, you're breaking the law"? Well, I'm not breaking the law. I'm making a living for myself. Mm -hmm. I'm adding tax dollars so that when you become old, you'll have a pension. Mm -hmm. I think it's just. Terrible. We should be really ashamed of our politicians, actually, Jim. But but we do have Sunday shopping now, Ivan. But yes, but you can't you can't open till till noon. Well, I didn't know that. Absolutely. Really? Yes. And also, and what about the churches? They they do Sunday shopping, don't they? Mm-hmm. And I have to pay for them. I have to pay help pay for their property taxes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I really resent that I have to pay somebody's property taxes that I don't believe in their philosophy. Mm -hmm. Nobody pays for my property taxes. Mm -hmm. People say, well, the churches are poor. Well, so am I. Mm -hmm. Then why, why don't you donate to my property taxes, Jim? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just terrible. Mm -hmm. I think we should straighten out our backyard first before we try to straighten out anybody else's backyard. Mm -hmm. Would you not agree with that, Jim? No, I don't argue that with the island. It's just uh, we, we have to be sure we know what's going on in our backyard, I guess. Yes, well, I know what's going on in my backyard, mm -hmm. but I think it's just terrible. Imagine charging a person. This furrier that they put out of business in Toronto, yeah. that's criminal. Yeah. That, that's criminal. Anyway, Jim. I haven't appreciated it. How, how are you feeling, Jim? Uh, a little better, thank well, you. That's great. I, I hope you get better. I hope so, too. Oh, okay, Jim. Have a great day. Thanks, and also Ivan. those two fellows that are with you. Okay, Ivan. Bye-bye. 643 star-1290 in the Rogers AT&T if you'd like to join uh, in our conversation. You know, one of the things that, uh, that Ivan mentions there makes me think, and that was that I, I'd seen a thing on TV a, a month or so ago about Japan back uh, just before the um, uh, Commodore Perry uh, came in in the mm -hmm. 1850s there with the black ships and how at that time the merchant class was a, considered to be a very low class in society. You had the samurai and the, the, the nobility and so on. And I guess that was true in Europe in sort of the Middle Ages mm -hmm. and so on as well. And I think about how, how, the, how business has become sort of, for many people, the most important institution in our society, that business is sacrosanct, really, uh, that anything that impedes business is, is evil, it's terrible, uh, you know, and that any other kind of a, a, the idea of an institution that, that purports to be on a higher plane, a spiritual plane or whatever, is just laughed at nowadays, like churches or, or you know, any other kind of a, a thing looking for something beyond business. And it's interesting how we've come to that. And again, I don't I have no idea what the dynamics are of that. Well, if you impede business by force, that is that is an evil. But if if you just impede business because you make another choice that might make a business suffer, that's an, that's another issue entirely. Joseph Campbell made an interesting comment. I'm I'm sure he wasn't the first, but he said if you want to uh, get uh, garner some insight into the nature of a community, look at what the highest building in that community represents. And for millennia in our society, Western society, the highest building in any community would have been the place of worship, the church, the mosque, whatever. Uh, not anymore. Not in the last 100, 120 years. Now the highest buildings, without exception, are temples of, prog or tem temples of commerce. They are business buildings. Yeah, for better or worse. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, well, I would say for better. Uh, I mean, business depends upon virtue basically. 
because reputation is everything in a business. If ask, you ask Bill Gates, if if it, ask him what. <laughs> Ask him if reputation is everything. I think the man's it become is. the richest man in the world in spite of his reputation. Well, I, I would disagree entirely, and I think uh, the antitrust case against him was the most unjustified antitrust case ever launched in the history of the world. Well, except but, for the IBM one that allowed him to become where he was. If it wasn't for uh, the government going after IBM back in the 80s, you know, Microsoft gonna, wouldn't have got its What's going to undo Bill Gates <laughs> is his competition, not the government, and already... Maybe. They don't know what to do with him now because if they break no. up the company, they know that's going to hurt a lot of people. And but again, they, it does so. Anything they do of, to him is going to cause more damage. The day after the conviction, he's lunching with Bill Clinton. That again, it shows that reputation really and doesn't Alan matter. Greenspan, if by the way. If you're rich enough, then reputation really doesn't matter too much. But it's interesting for me as well that I think about religion and the way that plays into our our own evolution and how I consider a lot of my influences to be religious ones. And when I grew up, you know, I, we went to church every Sunday, went off to the confirmation two hours every Saturday, Sunday school, the whole thing, and and a fair bit of, of Christian education. And, and as a result of that, derived certain things that I consider to be certain values. And yet I know other people who could have sat right beside me in Sunday school who, who went in a completely different direction. And you look at even just Christianity as a microcosm, uh, and you have your religious fundamentalist right, and you've got sort of the lefty types, the United Church types, who all are reading from the same book and going off in totally different well, directions. Well, absolutely. That's why and I learned that religion has nothing to do with a well, person's and, political and I wonder, belief. Is that because your beliefs are already there and you just find things from the Bible that interest you to support what you're saying, or is it really influencing you, but somehow something's changing it in your well, life this is why I don't understand how, a different way. how we've drifted so far to the left, to socialism, which is quite anti-religious as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I believe in the religious tenets that thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, and yet socialism is based basically on... You're more of an Old on, Testament on, kind on, of a guy. I think that Jesus was quite a socialist myself. Steal? Yeah. I don't think so. Oh, yeah. I, I can't think of anything as the Sermon on the Mount about, uh, you know, protect your property and leave the other guy's stuff alone and all that. Yeah. Remember, render not into Caesar, or render mm -hmm. to Caesar that which is Caesar's. But, but he didn't identify part, what, Jesus what was Caesar's. Jesus seemed to say, neighbor, golden rule, treature, you know, right. neighbors you would like to be treated And I would never steal from my neighbor, neighbor. So you're yeah, saying but, that's but it was acceptable? Really collect, those disciples, I don't know. They seem to share a lot they of stuff. They were pretty collective. Uh, <laughs> they didn't consider it stealing. They considered it sharing. Same kind of community that Jeff talked about earlier. You mean that they actually advocated that Rome should go around and take property from people well, and distribute it? They didn't talk about Rome. They no, talked they about didn't. themselves as individuals. Exactly. And that's the big difference. They what Rome we're doing was right Exactly. And what we're doing today is we're letting Rome do it. In our case, our Rome is Ottawa. <laughs> we have to, on, on that very provocative thought, we're going to pause uh, for a news update. Uh, Bob and Jeff will stay with us. Uh, there's more left, right, and center coming your way this morning on 1290 CJBK. And Chris Cahill comes in. On Ask the Experts 2 at 11.30 today to talk about his new book, Harvesting Your Wealth, and he's going to tell you how you can help to do that and look after yourself a little better financially. All of that ahead on 12.90 CJBK, and here's Tara with the news. This is Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, and Jim's been waiting to join our discussion this morning. Yeah. Hi, Jim. Interesting topic. Good morning, Jim. I hope you're feeling better. Thank you. Um, I guess as I get older, and I'm 48 years of age now, um, I'm coming to the opinion that None of us, neither Jim or Jeff or Bob, can say, this is where I am on the spectrum. I used to believe that at one time. I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that everything on the left is bad, and I don't believe that everything on the right is good. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean I'm a liberal. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But You know, that's one of the things that I, when I first read Ayn Rand, I found out left and right were irrelevant. Those are not the, the, I do too. the yep. scale on which we... Yep. We should compare things. Things are either freedom or totalitarian. That's the scale. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and anything that's freedom is good. You know, like, anything that's totalitarian is bad. Uh, I, I do believe that we need less government intervention. But I don't believe in total, complete 
no government intervention. Nor do I. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, so. in intervention's a dangerous word. I think government is there as a referee. Government control. To intervene government intervention, when, you know, one, when one party is violating the rights of another. But we can't say that everything on the, on the left is, is bad. I mean, there's, cer there's certain aspects of the social concerns on the left that I agree with, but on the economical concerns where you take from one to give to another. Like, Jeff mentioned the point uh, about the New Testament. In some respects, it, it teaches giving, but it's free will giving. Absolutely. And on the other hand, it teaches capitalism because uh, there's the uh, the story where Jesus taught of the, of the workers. One starts at eight, one starts at noon, one starts at quarter to five. And they all get paid the same. The unions wouldn't like that. And there's also a scripture which says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Mm -hmm. So, But there's also scriptures that say that we're to give, better to give than receive. So you can't take a dart and say, this is where I am. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, uh, does that mean we all should be voting Mr. Gretchen a liberal? <laughs> I don't know, but I think we should hover somewhere around the center. You know what I mean? A little bit to the right sometimes, a little bit to the left. Maybe. I sometimes wonder whether that's because as we age, we, we, we come to know more, or we come to realize that we just don't know. Are you saying I'm getting smarter, Jeff? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it, folks. But, but, you know, like, people people bandy, like, both extremes. I mean, you use the term the relig uh, religious fundamentalist right. What about the religious fundamentalist left, Jeff? Yeah, well, I know. And you it, know, like, we, we bandy this term fundamentalist right. There's just as many fundamentalists that are on the left would love to have total government control, and we call them communists. And I wonder, how does that happen? Because, again, they're all theoretically reading from the same uh, instruction manual. Because, because I've always found that those, those who are called religious fundamentalists aren't. They don't even know the first thing about fundamentalism. What they are is literalists. Mm -hmm. They read the Bible literally, and they don't get the fundamental message at all. Well, I'm a, I'm a literalist. I, I believe, I'm a literalist, I believe that what I have in the Bible is the Word of God. So Yet then I, you don't believe that the that the universe has been here for billions of years? No, you I don't believe that. I believe 4, the earth is... 4,000 years, eh? No, no. I believe the earth is young. And I believe well, there's scientific proof to prove it, too. But ultimately, this, now there's a good question, too, Jeff. Ultimately, both evolutionism, and that's why I believe evolutionism and creationism should both be taught in public school and high school, both are faith-based assumptions. No, they're not. Are. No, they are not. Nobody was there at the beginning. <laughs> no. You weren't there at the beginning. If, if, if evolution is not true, then the, ba the entire basis of our scientific system in this, in this Western society in which we live is, is, uh, is false. The assumptions we make in all Absolutely. the other sciences That's are false. That's my whole point, Jim. Both creationism and evolutionism are faith-based no. assumptions. No, they're not. No. But nobody was there at the beginning. It's not the point. But nobody was there at the beginning, Jim. It's not the point. That, that's the whole point. <laughs> no, it's not the point at all. Anyway, I don't <laughs> so want to go down okay, that road. I can't argue with you on that one. But, yeah. but my point being is not everything on the left is, is wrong and not everything on the right is, is right. Yeah. Nobody and, was and there at the beginning of what, though? I think that's an important issue, that, Absolutely. Because, because how people think metaphysically, like what, what do they think the world is based on and creation is based on, will affect what they are eventually politically. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Personally, you know, I, I read a lot of physics books. And mm. I read a lot of books. I've read Stephen Hawking. I've read all the latest theories. And, and you know, you can create all kinds of analogies between science and religion, but you're always amending the religious side of it to suit the science as you learn it. Well, that's a question of, of what you use it for, though. Like, for me, again, you look at something like the Bible as sort of a guide, hopefully, to how you should live your life. And you look at science, for instance, to give you insights into the way things are to try and figure out, okay, based on, on my understanding of the way things are, here's what I should do today or, or next week or next year. Uh, and again, where, where I am is that I sit back and I just, I don't know. Like, uh, well, the it, problem I have with creationism is creationism is right, then Einstein's wrong, Stephen Hawking is wrong. You got it. All these guys are you wrong. You got it. 
It's possible. You, you see, got see, it. You see, the, the, I think the issue is that there was no creation of existence. Existence always exists. That's just an axiom. It cannot be proven or unproven. That's well, then, the first. But then, then, Bob, we either, we either, we either existed here always with a non-personal... I'm not talking about human beings. I'm talking about the concept of existence itself, which includes the universe and all other universes then, that then, may exist. Then, or okay, may then it's either personal or non-personal, right? What do you mean? The, if it's always existed, that existence is either a non-personal entity or a personal entity, right? Why? Well, it has to be. It has to be personal or non-personal. Why? Why? Because in this world, you have person, you have persons, and you have material objects. In this world. Well, what other world is there, Jim? Well, there are a number of parallel, uh, uh, not parallel, but there are a number of dimensions we, that please, we can't don't, see. Don't, don't bring Parliament into this. <laughs> <laughs> I know they got to run. Thanks, Jim. Bye-bye. We're going to pause for a second. Be right back. Schlemmer, Bob Metz with us today on Left, Right, and Center. We've been talking about the political spectrum, left and right and center, and where we fit and so on. Our last caller, Jim, made the point that it's very difficult for most of us, or for many of us, to say where we are on that spectrum. That, and I made the point earlier today, in, in my own case, that I'm sort of a non-aligned nation. I don't support either of the, of the, of the major political superpowers, and, uh, and I'm not crazy about any of the minor ones either. You know, that's an interesting point, and I think that's why most people are liberal. Because I have found in asking people where they personally stand on certain issues, when they don't know, and they don't really know whether they are left or right, mm -hmm. and you ask them what they voted, they generally vote liberal. Find safe harbor. Yeah. Well, one of the things, too, that I've, I've thought about over time is that it, my friends who call themselves right-wing, uh, I have experienced, have generally been people who are extremely disciplined, extremely hardworking, and I think that, that where they and I sometimes differ is a question of how much of your, of your life is based on um, your individual will versus how much is fate. You know, their, their idea is that with enough sort of character you can overcome any adversity. And, and sometimes I think that, again, these are, these are some of the reasons why they have these ideas about uh, there shouldn't be welfare, it should be minimalist, minimalist or whatever, that basically you, you set your own agenda in your life and if you have enough determination you'll go there. Uh, as opposed to sort of in my experience, of course, on a daily basis, I see people who have been brought down by illness, who've been brought down by a variety of things, who, who and I think there but for the grace of God go I, that I think there's an element of fate in there too. Sometimes things just go wrong. Mm -hmm. And to me, I want to have sort of a, a safety net bailout. If well, that's why we invented charities and insurance companies yeah, and but, things but, to look after that. But I, I also think the, the lesson in history is that when we resort to an agency of force to do that, those things that's supposed to be free will and, and, and voluntary, that we will destroy our society. And there has never been an exception to that rule. One of the frightening things, we did a major research project in 1988-89 for, for, for what we call the Calendar of Individual Freedom that we published, uh, the Freedom Party of Ontario. And one of the frightening things, last, the last topic we discussed on this show, by the way, was democracy, if you, if you recall, a couple weeks ago. But freedom has never been won through a democratic process, ever, ever. I cannot think of an instant. All freedoms have been won by someone breaking the law yeah, but and surely. then having the public sympathy on their side. Uh, Morgenthaler had to break the law several times to break the abortion uh, rules. Uh, people like Paul Magder and Mark Emery had to break the Sunday shopping laws to get the Sunday shopping laws changed. Um, you, can, you know, the drug laws are going the same way because there's all kinds of people. You know, this, this is just a major scandal. I mean, most of the people in U.S. jails are there for drugs mm -hmm. and nonviolent crimes. Um, these things are all going to fall by the wayside, but not because of the democratic process. It will be legislated, of course, but not because of uh, voting and what people want. It's going to come out of necessity, and that's what generally happens. But Bob, isn't, isn't freedom just another word for nothing left to lose? 
<laughs> I don't know. There's a song. I, I, uh, I've heard that, but yeah, what, what interests freedom me Freedom is well one thing you don't want to lose. Trying to you lose freedom, you lose of, everything how else. How much of your political ideas are based on your own particular life experience and how that can change over time. And I think about uh, Ronald Reagan, for instance, and how back in the 30s he was a big socialist. He was a big uh, Roosevelt Democrat. Mm -hmm big union uh, organizer and so on and over his life based on the things that he saw you know he moved further and further to the right and ended up being sort of a, a an icon for the right wing and and it and I wonder again is this going to happen to me you know am I going to have this this epiphany back because they say back in the mid 80s I would consider myself a, 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 a small c conservative voting conservative and all that and then in my case they say I, I was sort of ruined by getting on the board of the unemployment help center I think and seeing life on the other side a bit and then from there going to a law clinic and then just being wrecked for life, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because these are the things I see every day and they cause huh. my, my impression to be this way. But if I was a stockbroker, maybe I'd see the world totally differently. Well, I, I had a lot of, you know, personal experiences that probably shaped my political beliefs. I certainly, I was once a member of a union, U UAW, and it was my worst working experience I ever had because the, the union was just completely irrational. Um, I was also on the business end of things. I was working at a trust company when interest rates were 22% on a first mortgage back in the very early 80s. And those are the things that kind of got me interested in the politics of it because I realized this wasn't pure business. There was something else being going on here. But in my readings, what I discovered is that there's this perpetual thing that people, since the beginning of civilization, have always had to deal with, and it's the two choices. You're going to either choose freedom or you're going to choose security. And... It's very tempting to go for security because security feels secure. But the, but the irony of it is that the societies that opt for, opt for security over freedom will lose both. The societies that opt for freedom over security will gain both. And that is counterintuitive, as is so much in physics and science and mm -hmm. the things that we're learning today because we don't experience them firsthand. Um, like we were just talking in, uh, during the commercials there about the concept of time itself. Um, but isn't freedom it, service uh, just a pit stop on the road to anarchy? Like, I look at the Mad Max no, movies and I think, I don't want to live in the not. Mad Max world. That's pretty free. Anarchy has always like been it. caused by too much government. And then when the government breaks down, you have a period of, of, quote, no government, which is immediately replaced by some other totalitarian system. But the no government's um, like a, a boomerang thing. Yeah, it's it, not it, a good place. The idea that freedom, political freedom has to be distinguished from free to do anything. Political freedom is its own limit. Uh, political freedom means that you can do whatever you want, but you cannot interfere with someone else's right to do the same. But somebody's got to enforce that. That's why you need a government. Well, that's you forced. can't have freedom. With, yes, but it's defensive. You, everyone has a right to self-defense. Well, except but you don't have a right to initiate force. That was the first lesson I learned from Ayn Rand, was that the initiation of force, not the defensive use of force, is evil. Yeah, but in all, all becomes, cases. To me, to me it all, you know, it's, it's defensive force, but then again, somebody breaks the law, so you have to go out and get them, so you're on the offense while you're doing no, no, that. No, no, that's, uh, why, you to, day, that's no. why you have to use reason and, and have, have a, a, a set of principles that we call justice, um, and, and that we recognize a principle. For example, a person who, who works and, and, and works to create something, that is his. No one else owns it by any, quote, right. The right is, is accrued to that person by virtue of their own effort. But again, uh, somebody has the right to invoke force to force somebody not to bother somebody else, though. Yes, and that's the, the first person that has that right is the, is the owner of and the property itself. It seems like right itself. off the bat you've compromised your freedom. Uh, maybe no, 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 you have liberals. created... We can't figure out where this all leads Quite the contrary, <laughs> you have created freedom by that. Until you have that government that, that, can, that is the arbiter or the referee, you don't really have freedom. You may be in a state of... Uh, 
free anarchy, if you want to call it that, but it's not freedom in the, in the sense that we need. The government has to provide a structure to allow uh, business enterprise so that we can project into the future, so that contracts are enforced. That's one of the major things a government has to do. Um, civilization consists largely of people keeping their promises, and, and that when they don't, then things start breaking down. You know, one of the things that occurs to me, though, in listening to you, and I, I listen to what the different politicians say, is I think that either if you were, if you formed the government, either it would be extremely different than it is now, or else it would be sort of similar to what it is now, but sort of a little bit more in your direction than we are right now. And I think, I'm not sure which would be scarier, in the sense that uh, if we go into a brave new world that's totally different than the one we are, we're in right now, that to me is, is where you often run into problems historically, it seems. On the other hand, if you get into government and you're like the NDP in 1990 or whatever, who think, oh, I'm going to do all these wonderful new things, but then you get weighed down by the surrealities of day-to-day -day government and end up not being all that different than everybody else, then that's sort of disappointing too. Well, you won't end up being different than anyone else if you just... Uh if you're only going to government to try and, quote, do what the public wants, because the public's going to want benefits for, for, quote, free at no cost to them if they can yeah. possibly get away with it. And any politician that will offer them that will likely get elected. That's why I think uh, the thinking has to change at the root, at the basic population. But a lot of people aren't willing, you know, they're afraid, for example, say if a party like Freedom Party got elected, they're afraid that the medical system would vanish overnight, when I don't even think anybody would notice anything happening other than things would hopefully get better mm -hmm. because uh, because there'd be more options more choice because wherever we we allow that we always find things do get better um if, if that i'm not a person that believes in destroying and dismantling things i just believe in giving people choice and then seeing where they go and those those things that survive survive and those things that don't don't and that's the way it what should if those be. things are people though isn't that the concern for a lot of people on the left is that there are individuals and there seem to be a fair number of them in our society who cannot for whatever reason, are either not prepared to take responsibility for their own actions, are 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 un, uh, are too short-sighted, the kinds of people, for example, who would say, and you know them, and I know mm -hmm. them, and Jeff knows them, and our listeners know them, who, if presented with the option to say, if you want to insure your old age, you want to make sure you've got health care, you've got to buy this insurance policy. Now, if you don't buy this insurance policy, what's going to happen is you're, uh, uh, you know, you may face disaster in the future. However, if you do buy it, you can't buy that new car you want because you can't afford both of them. Well, ah, nothing's going to happen to me. I want the car. I'll buy the car. Mm -hmm. And when the day comes that they need the insurance policy that was there for them, and it was their free choice, and they made that choice freely, and they said, I, I don't want the insurance. Screw it. I want to have the car instead. But the day arrives when they, need to be, when they need to be helped. And there's this great mass, I think, in our society that does not want to see that person punished for their irresponsibility. Well, that's, then if they don't, then they'll help. My issue is that if we, again, do it through government, you're going to be faced with that situation with everybody. Well, I don't think they in, want in the to help. Situation. I don't think they want to reach out to that individual. They just want to be sure that that individual is not going to end up banging on their door looking for a cup of soup one day. Well, or or worse than that, dying at home because he can't get into a hospital because he has no insurance. Yeah, so but, I think part but of that, that may is that happen. If that happened to their kid, for instance, who was the irresponsible one, I think what they're saying is, okay, yeah, they were irresponsible, but they shouldn't die for it. You know, I think that's part of it too. And quite, one of the things that I've wondered about again in terms of characterizing left and right is that sometimes it seems to me that some of my right-wing friends are the nicest people in the world the most generous compassionate understanding people in the world but for their friends and family but for the broader 
public. They don't see them as having a, a link with them. They don't see themselves as connected. And sometimes I think Nor should on, they. on the left, they Nor sort of cast the net a little more broadly and say, well, there's really no distinction between you somebody who's friend... my son and somebody who's my neighbor's son. I should have the same standard for both of them. If you treat strangers the same as you treat your friends, then there's no value in your life. That could be the ultimate value in your life. So, so that's you, what, you would sacrifice your wife's life for someone else? Well, you hope you're trying to save somebody else's wife. Well, is that rational if you're going to risk your own children or your or your or your own what immediate is, family for someone else that you think, don't why even do you know? Why do you think the way you do, and why do I think the way I do about this? Like, how did that happen? I think we're back around to the issue of faith again. I think faith, the Christian faith, in particular, would suggest that you do treat everyone the, as you would treat, treat your friend. You treat, in fact, in Christian faith, you even treat your enemies as well as you would treat your friends. Never mind people that you just don't happen to know. Well, uh, there are a lot of things in the Christian faith I would disagree with. Um, well, would you just, uh, what's, what's for, wrong with that? If we lived in a society where we all did treat each other with love and respect, wouldn't we be a lot better off? Well, obviously, but that's not the issue. You're not treating people with love and respect when you run to the government and force some people to help other people when they have their own plans and their own on their own lives to lead and that the, and that their goals in life are being compromised but sometimes these laws are brought in else. they may be imperfect but they're brought in with that kind of a goal in mind but you see again, again everything we do is flawed and no not everybody has we, a goal should we try or not but, but not, then, not everybody has a goal but they don't right? have to we can't impose on everyone what we think how they should live whether they should have insurance whether they should believe this that or the other yeah thing. i think we can i think there's a uh, point at which we say we don't want to see this person dying in the gutter of lack of medical care because they didn't didn't have an insurance policy. Well, today we have more street people than the country has ever seen in its history. In Toronto now, you can go downtown Toronto and see people well, sleeping in the street with all that, the agencies available <laughs> and, and all that. You know, to me, I'm saying that if we go, if we opt politically to go for security over freedom, we're going to lose both. And that you're not going to be worrying about the one guy who can't get in the hospital. You're going to be worried about 30 million Canadians who can't get into a hospital. So I guess that's and that's that the whether, ultimate price you pay. Whether we're talking about the same end, and it's a question of how you arrive at it. Whether you're saying you'd like to see a world where nobody starves, whether you'd like to see a world where where people all sort of do live in peace and harmony. But I'm you not, think the I'm way to get there for is by stopping bothering each other. I'm not shooting for an end because that would presuppose that I already know how everybody should live. I'm shooting. I'm, I'm shooting for a means to whatever end people choose and the means is individual freedom and individual responsibility and and, and it's like saying you know on, on a lesser scale for example instead of people dying we could be talking about a businessman who makes bad decisions and decide you know and, and runs his business into the ground should the rest of us be forced to help him and subsidize his business governments have forced us to do that mm -hmm. it's hard not to and, think about and, the end though like and, where this is all leading. and yet that's not what should be done that business should be allowed to fail the capitalist system is not a profit system. It is a profit and loss system. And when the, the thing is, when people come to know or expect that the government's going to pick up after any mess that they make, they're, not, they're going to be less responsible as time goes on. And that's what we're seeing in society well, today. This is another aspect of it. I it think is, that left-wingers are determinatively, determinatively naive, whereas right-wingers are very cynical and realistic and that's the difference and i choose to be naive i'd r much rather be an idealistic naive but that's dangerous than a cynical that's, realist that's, that's and so far things have worked out be. pretty well well you because know, because there's enough right wingers around you who are taking care of things <laughs> <laughs> well thank on that very note, much. <laughs> on that note i will thank both of my guests today bob metz and jeff schlemmer for making this a very thought-provoking day thank you to both of you thanks Look very much to Jim. seeing Good you again